Good morning. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Did you eat too much? It's allowed. See if I can get my props set up here. Voila. How about that? Well, it is great to see you this morning. And Amy Olson, if you don't know Amy, is she here this morning? Is she in first service or second? Second service. She's our missions coordinator here at the church, and she asked me to give you a uh, kind of an announcement, if you would, and an invitation. So we again are going down in June, about five hours south of here, to a town called La Esperanza, just south of San Vicente in the Baja, and we're doing a week-long mission trip there. We've been doing this for a number of years. We work with Mexican Medical Missions. It is a life-changing trip, and it's for our adults certainly can go, high school students can go, middle school students can go with a parent. Elementary age children, leave them at home, okay, uh, on that. But we'd love to have you go. It's what we leave here. Uh, this is, I uh, got the exact dates here. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. June 9th through the 14th, we leave right after Sunday after church. And we drive, make the drive five hours. We're there. In the mornings, we do physical labor. This is not a glamorous trip by any means. We do physical labor in the morning, do all types of projects that they need done. In the afternoon is the highlight. We go out to a migrant camp. We do a vacation Bible school for a couple hundred kids out there. And then at night, we do various things. And so it's just a life-changing event, and I just encourage you to consider that. If you're interested, not signing up, but if you're interested, there's a sign-up sheet out uh, at the Welcome Center. If you just put that down, because beginning in uh, January, we'll be having some meetings as we prepare for this trip in June. But great, great opportunity there. Uh, also, too, coming up in just a few weeks is our church cleanup day. Uh, I'm leading this, so I would love to have you come out and spend a few hours. We've got to clean up our campus, make it beautiful for Christmas. And so this is going to be on Saturday, uh, December the 16th on that, and from 8 to 11 o'clock. Guys, we're going to be doing some, uh, cutting some, you got, you got a chainsaw? Bring a chainsaw. All right. So we've been cutting down some limbs, that type of thing. Uh, on that, we're going to be trimming some bushes. Uh, but ladies say, well, there's nothing for me and my kids. Absolutely there is. We're going to get a mountain of mulch. A mountain of mulch, and we're going to have to rebed all the, the flower, uh, help me out, flower beds. We have to rebed all the flower beds and stuff. So, a lot to do. If you can, again, if you're going to attend that, please let us know. Now, a lot of people will just show up, which is okay, but if I knew we had 10 more people, we would have planned to do more stuff, okay? So, if you let me know, that's really important on that. Again, you can sign up out there. So, enough for uh, paid political advertisements this morning. All right, here we go. If you haven't already done so, take out your message outline. Now, this week was a nightmare come true for me. A staff was away this week on va their vacation. It's Thanksgiving, that type of thing. So I was here most of the time doing a lot of different things for basketball and cheer and, and for the message and so forth. The internet went out on Tuesday. I am the least technological person you will ever meet in your life. I, I know nothing. I mean, just nothing. And so I was just totally in the dark, scrambling, got to put together a message. I can't print to the printer type of a thing. I can't even do that. I'm going to, how am I going to get this stuff done? And Daniel, thank goodness for him, he spent a couple of hours trying to help me out as well. And so on your outline, you're going to notice the formatting is not chipper. It's kind of, kind of jolly walkered. Because what happened, finally, I called one of my friends and I said, do you have a color printer? I said, can I send this to you and can you print it? And I will uh, make a copy and I will run it through our Xerox machine. It was still running. And so he said, yes. He said, now send it to me in the PDF format. I said, okay. A few hours later, 
PDF is what? I, you, know, I, you know, I don't know. I, did, I just sent it to him. And so when it printed, it got all discombobulated. So when you look at this and go, who did this? I did that. Okay, so it's, it's all on me type of thing. But if you don't have a message outlined, you're going to be entirely lost. There's nothing on the screen. Oh, I'm on the screen. Nothing but me. That's a joy. Okay. There's going to be an outline. It's not on the screen. It's not on the, your, you can't go on the internet and pull it up on our, our, our app. It's not there. It's only on this piece of paper and you need this piece of paper. So if you didn't get an outline, do we have some extra outlines available? Here we go, right here. If you just raise your hand, if you didn't get an outline, everybody needs an outline. There's some hands over there. Lee Price didn't get an outline. There's one back there. So we have some extra outlines. You need an outline. Now, just a quick question before we jump into things. Did, has anybody ever climbed on top of Half Dome in Yosemite National Park? Half Dome. Anybody ever made that trek? Okay, all right. Now, okay, some of you have. Now, please tell me, is this true or false? I have always heard that there are multiple routes to the top of Half Dome. Is that true? Not just one trail, but there are many trails, several trails. Is that true? That's true. Okay, I'm going to take that as an affirmative. Then this will help us. Because we know if you try to climb Half Dome, the object is to get to the top. doesn't matter what trail you get on. Some may be easier than harder, whatever type of thing, but the object is to get to the top. Well, in religion today, there's this thing called the mountain theory, the mountain theory. And the mountain theory kind of goes like this. There are many different ways to get to the top of a mountain, just like there is to get to the top of Half Dome. And so there's many different paths. And so they have taken this and they have applied it to religion. And here's how it rolls out. At the top of the mountain is God. God's at the top of the mountain, and there are many different paths to God. Islam is a path to God. Judaism is a path to God. Hinduism is a path to God. Christianity is a path to God. And here's what the theory says. It doesn't matter which path you take because at the top, it's God. Now, doesn't that sound so all-inclusive and kumbaya and we just love each other? The problem with the mountain theory, and this is very popular, very popular. Here's the problem with the with the, with the Mountain theory. Is this mathematically correct? It is right. Put it any different way you want and it will always be correct. Correct? Right? Is this mathematically correct? Why not? Why isn't two plus one four? Because it doesn't add up, does it? Right? So can this be true? No. Is this true? Yes. But they can't both be true because they are mutually exclusive. Does that make sense to you? If this is true, this cannot be true. Right? Type of a thing. When you compare the different faiths, they are, mute, they are mutually exclusive. They may all lead up to what somebody calls God, but it's different gods that we're talking about. And so here's how it works out. If this faith is true, this one can't be true because they contradict each other. They cannot both be true at the same time. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so the mountain theory that it all leads to the same place is absolutely not true. It is not true when you begin to look at it. Now, on your message outline, go ahead and take it out. What we want to do this morning is pretty simple. We want to look at what makes Jesus different. What makes Jesus different? 
And I want to give you a little experiment. I would hope you would do this this week. When you go back to work this week and you're just talking to some of your friends, I want you to throw something like this out there. Hey, I've been reading about Buddha and the afterlife. See what kind of reaction you get from people. Or how about saying something like this? I've been studying the wisdom sayings of Confucius. See what people might say to you. I've been looking at the ethical teaching of Mohammed. See what they might say to you. They may engage you. Well, that's kind of interesting. Why did you do that? And what have you learned? That type of thing. Or they may just listen and politely. But then say something like this. Hey, I've been learning about Jesus. Have you ever noticed when you use the name Jesus, things suddenly change? And you could hear a pin drop? And people don't engage you. They quickly cut you off. And they say, oh, I'm not into religion, right? That's your Jesus. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Why? What makes Jesus so different? And here's the, fill in the first fill in the blank on your outline. There is something special. There is something unique about Jesus. And when you begin to talk about him in general public, many people want to quickly change the subject. Change the subject on that. Now, it's not that Christianity in and of itself is so special because we have a lot of characteristics with other, other faiths as well. Uh, for instance, we, have, you know, the, we share the same frailties, the failures other religions do. Our history as Christianity has been marred by war, lies, greed, like others have. Christians are as infallible as anyone else. But Jesus is special. Why? What makes Jesus so special? And the answer to that question lies in a question that Jesus actually asked his disciples. Now, they had been traveling with Jesus for about three years now. He's coming to the end of his life. They didn't know that, but he was coming to the end of his life and coming to the end of his ministry. They had been with him. They had seen him do all kinds of things. They had heard his teachings. They saw him feed the 5,000. They had seen him heal lame people, give people back their sight. He had seen even a couple of people become brought back even from the dead. And now Jesus is going to ask them to make a judgment based on what they had seen and heard for the past three years. And here's the question. And folks, I want to tell you something. This is the most important question you and I will ever have to answer. No doubt about it. This is the most important question you and I will ever have to answer. So here it is. It's found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 16. It's on your outline. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, this is the northern, the very northern part of the country. This is above Galilee, above the, the, the way up, way up uh, there. So that's where they are. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is a phrase for Jesus. So there he says, who, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist, if you remember, is actually a cousin of Jesus. He had been uh, executed about a year prior to this. Herod, King Herod had cut off his head. And so they said, maybe you're, they think maybe you're John the Baptist come back to life. And then he goes on, they go on and they say, we think maybe some others say that you're Elijah. Elijah was one of the greatest Old Testament prophets that, that there was. And he go, they go on and say, uh, still others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then Jesus brings it home. Here's what he says. What about you? That's what those people think. I want to know what you think. Who do you say I am? Life's most important question. And Simon Peter answered this. You are the Christ the son of the living God. Again, this is the most important question you'll ever have to answer. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Because your answer will have a direct impact on your eternal destiny. Now, this message, as I was preparing it, I had four facts that made Jesus unique that I was going to share with you. I got so engrossed in the first one, which is the most important, 
Forget the other three. We're going to look at the main reason why Jesus is so unique. The main reason. Now, I'm going to try as best I can. I'm not good at this, but I'm going to try the best I can to take the advice that the rooster gave a hen who wanted to lay an egg in the middle of a busy interstate. The rooster simply said this to the hen, lay it on the line and do it in a hurry. All right. Now, having said, some of you are still just like, you don't get that, do you? I guess this is a Southern thing. All right. But if you do, tell your neighbor about that. I mean, okay, I'm going to try to get through this. My hope is this, as we look at this today, don't believe me. Please do not believe me. This is so important. You must check this out for yourself. And it's not hard to do. You have to explore this and come to your own answers. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. All right. Some of you know that Janie and I just got back a week or so ago from a trip to India. A trip to India. Uh, India was, if you'd asked me where we want to go in life, I'd have never have said India, but we got a deal, and we're all about the deal. And so we went to really good friends of ours from San Francisco, and we had an incredible time in India. I would recommend India to anybody. Absolutely incredible. Incredible country on that. I did not know this. India is now the largest population-wise, the largest country in the world. Did you know that? I had no idea. The population of India is this, 1,425,000,000. They've just surpassed China. China is very close behind. China, in fact, India is 428,000,000. China is 1,425,000,000. In the United States, our population is 340,000,000. For every one of us, there's five Indians. For every one of us, there's five Chinese. The population of the world is 8 billion people. Did you know that 38% of the world's population lives in those two countries? Isn't that crazy? That's, absolutely, that's just mind-boggling to me. Now, the makeup of, spiritually speaking, of India is this. 80% are Hindu, 14% follow Islam, 2% Christians. 2%. 2% are Sikhs. Our tour guide was an absolutely brilliant woman. She was in her right, she was approaching 60. Uh, she bucked the trend of what an Indian woman was supposed to be as far as following customs and traditions. She didn't get married until she was in her 30s. She has a PhD. She regularly, every year, goes to Harvard and Yale and lectures on linguistics. That's what her PhD is in. She's a brain on the stick. She was fascinating to be around. She knew everything about everything. Just incredible type of person. But as she was telling it about her story, she made mention of the fact that a lot of her early education before she went to college was in a Baptist school. A lot of times... Missionary schools or Baptist you know, schools in, in foreign countries are sometimes the better schools than the public schools there. And so her parents pay the money for her to go to a Baptist school. And I couldn't help but thinking, you are an incredibly educated woman. Why aren't you following Jesus? Why, why, are you, why are you a Hindu? And I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, maybe, just maybe, she never was challenged with what we're going to look at today. Maybe she didn't know or had never been asked to think about life's most important question. What makes Jesus so unique? Why is it that the names Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius don't offend people? But you say the name of Jesus, it's a different ballgame. So let's look at the one reason more than any other, what makes Jesus unique. Here it is. If you get nothing else, walk out of here with this. No other great teacher ever claimed to bring God to us. No other great teacher ever claimed to bring God to us. Mohammed didn't. Buddha didn't. Confucius didn't. Nobody did. Now, what does it mean that he 
claim to bring God to us. Look at this next fill in the blank. Every time I've shared this, people have come up, will say to me, say, I've never heard anybody say that. I go, you gotta be kidding. Look at this. Fill in the blank. Jesus claimed to be God. God in a bod. Jesus Christ claimed to be God who had come in person to this world. No other religion. No other religion claims this, but Jesus did. And this makes Jesus different than any other religious leader. Many people will say, if you ask them who was Jesus, they'll say he was a great prophet, he was a great teacher, he was you know, a great person, that type of thing. Jesus did not say that. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. And in Christ Jesus, God actually chose to be born into this world. He humbled himself by becoming one of us. The almighty God shrinks himself to become a fertile egg in the body of a teenage girl. It didn't take long after Jesus' birth for people to begin to realize there was something different about this young man. Jesus presented himself as the only avenue to a relationship with God, the only source of forgiveness for sins, the only way to salvation. Look at the fill-in. The New Testament clearly presents Christ as God. This is not a hidden secret. Clearly presents Christ as God. In Titus 2, 13, Paul, the great missionary, is writing a letter back to a young man he's mentoring in the faith, Titus, and he writes this. As we wait for the blessed day we hope for, when the glory of our great God and Savior, put a, little, put a little connection part there. Jesus is God, he is Savior, and he identifies him, Jesus Christ will appear. The New Testament clearly presents Christ as God. Look at the next fill in the blank. The scriptures attribute characteristics to Jesus that can only be true of God. They cannot be true of human beings like you and me. He is presented in several different ways. Look at this. I'll go through this pretty quickly. First of all, he's presented as being self-existence. In other words, no one created him. No one created God, right? Genesis, or rather, John 1, 4. It says, the word gave life to everything that was created. Everything that's been created was created by God. It was created through Christ. And his life brought light to everyone. He is omnipresent as well, meaning he is present everywhere at the same time. Only God can do that, and he's attributed to Jesus. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. How can that happen? How can you be with every one of us? That doesn't make sense. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient as well. He knows everything. Matthew 17, 22, when they came together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life, and his disciples were filled with great grief. He predicted and told what was going to happen to him is related to his death. How on earth could he have known that? He is omniscient. He knows everything. Folks, let me just say this to you. If you ever see anybody who predicts their own death and then says three days later they're going to come back to life, if you ever hear anybody do it and they do it, follow them. Don't ask any questions. You just follow them, all right, on that. He's also omnipotent. He has unlimited power. He's able to do anything. Luke 7, 14 and 15 says, Then he, Jesus, went, went up and he touched the coffin. He was, there was a funeral procession going by. And those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Who can do that but God? He also is possessing of eternal life. 
1 John 5, it says, this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life. And where is this eternal life found? It is found in his son, Jesus. Eternal life is found in Christ. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. And then if you look at this next, this next passage. Jesus claims and receives honor and worship that only God should receive. People did things to him that you would only do if they were a God. Most of the followers of Jesus were very devout Jews. They believed in one God and recognized Jesus as being God incarnate, his followers. Paul was probably the one guy. Paul was not one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He didn't become a Christian until after Jesus' resurrection. But Paul had rabbinical training. He was a rabbi. So he had all this rabbinical training. If anybody would have said, no way, no how, Jesus was God, it would have been Paul. But he said exactly the opposite. Even with all his training, he attributed deity to Jesus. He worshiped and called him Lord. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul said this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The church of God, what's that church? It's the church Jesus bought. Jesus is God. He bought it with his own blood. Look at what the other disciples said about Jesus, some of his followers. Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Then notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't say, no, 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 no. Now, what if somebody came and said to you, you're God? Oh, some of you would say, about time you recognize that. I mean, you know, no. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm God. I mean, I'm... <laughs> Jesus didn't say, no, 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 no. No, I'm not God. No, actually, he accepted that, and notice what he says, too. He didn't correct him. He acknowledged where Simon Peter even came up with this, the validity and the source. Look at the next verse, Matthew 6, 17. Jesus replied, you, Peter, are blessed, son of John, because my Father in heaven revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. God told you who I was. Then there were other of his disciples. There was Nathaniel, who remembered Nathaniel when he found out Jesus was from Nazareth. He says, no good thing can come from, from Nazareth. He wound up becoming one of his disciples. He professed Christ was indeed God. Stephen, when he was stoned to death, the first Christian martyr, as he was being stoned to death, here's what he yelled out. He cried out. He said, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, receive my soul, my spirit. He believed he was indeed God. Verse 29, John 20, 29. And then, by the way, there was also doubting Thomas. Remember him? After Jesus' death, he said, I won't believe he's been raised unless I put my hands, my fingers in his nail prints. And when the resurrection occurred, Jesus stood before him. Thomas, come here. Put your hand there. Thomas fell down, clung to Jesus. All he could say was, my Lord and my God. John 20, 29, Jesus told Thomas, this is for us. He's talking about us right here. Jesus told Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. I think I'd believe too if I saw a dead man <laughs> I knew had been crucified. I'd believe too. But notice what Jesus says. You have, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not yet seen. And they believe. That's us. We haven't physically seen him, but yet we believe. Look at this fill in the blank. You may be looking at this and say, well, that's what other people said about Jesus. But Jesus didn't say that about himself. Oh, to the contrary. Let's look at this fill in the blank. 
While the above verses are about what others said, what did Jesus say about himself? John chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. And again, I'm giving you all this because I'm going to ask you to go back and study it. I want this to be your faith, not my faith in you. It's got to be your faith. You've got to own it. You've got to embrace it. Here we go. John 5. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to him, them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I am working too. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Why? Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but notice what they said, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Jewish people would never use the word, my father. They would not use my. They would always say, our father. Our father. Jesus, by saying he is my father, he is identifying that the father and I are one. He even said as much in John chapter 10, the next verse. I and the father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Catch it out. Why are they going to try to kill him? Because you, a mere man, claim to be what? God. They, they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. He claimed to be God. There was no doubt that the Jewish leader saw Jesus identify himself as God. Now, they didn't believe it, but that's what he was claiming. Now, look at this next film on the mind. In most trials, people are tried for what they've done, right? You go before a judge, he's going to look at what did you do. Not true with Jesus. Jesus was tried for who he was. He was the son of God. That's what got him crucified. Look at the next fill in. The distinct claims of Jesus to be God eliminate, they eliminate the popular idea of skeptics today who say Jesus was just a good moral man or a prophet or who said a lot of profound things. People today would say this, he's not God. No, no, he's a good teacher though, great man, prophet, He's not God. Well, that's not what others said, and that's not what he said, is it? Look at this next fill in the blank. To say what Jesus said and to claim what he claimed about himself, one could not conclude he was just a good moral man or a prophet. Folks, that alternative is not open up to us. Jesus never meant it to be an option for us. C.S. Lewis, who most of us have heard the name C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis was a brilliant, brilliant man. His conversion to Christianity, he was a professor at Cambridge University. He was an agnostic. But he began to explore the claims of Jesus and later in his life committed his life to following Jesus Christ. He then wrote all kinds of books that you can still read today. And He's he's a brain on a stick. And and I I read stuff and I I would never thought of that in a million years. It's like, wow, he's incredible. But here's what C.S. Lewis said related to this idea of attributing to Jesus. Well, he's a good prophet. He's a good teacher, but he's not God. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. This is from his book, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis, who was a professor at Cambridge University and once an agnostic, understood this issue clearly. He writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, referring to Jesus. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be a devil, the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Lewis then adds, you can shut him up as a fool. 
You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. As you consider who Jesus Christ is, what are your options? Josh McDowell, who I absolutely love, and I'm going to read you a quote from him in just a moment. Josh McDowell is the one who I first heard come up with this idea. Jesus Christ is either Lord, he's who he says he is, he's a liar, or he's mentally ill. He's a lunatic. Lord, liar, lunatic. And really, when you think about it, those are the three options. Which one is he for you in your life? You have to make that decision. So let's look at these together just for a moment. Was Jesus a liar? Was he a liar? And look at this. This is from Josh McDowell from the little book, More Than a Carpenter, that I'm going to encourage you. Get a copy and read it. Okay? Here we go. Josh McDowell writes this. If when Jesus made his claims, he knew that he was not God, then he was lying and deliberately deceiving his followers. But if he was a liar, then he was also a hypocrite because he told others to be honest, whatever the cost, while he himself taught and lived a colossal lie. Even more than that, then he was a demon because he told others to trust him for their eternal destiny. If he couldn't back up his claims and knew it, then he was unspeakably evil. Last, he would also be a fool because it was his claims to be God that led to his crucifixion. Again, many people will say, yeah, Jesus was a great moral teacher, that kind of thing. But how could a great moral teacher be someone who knowingly misled people at the most important point, his identity, who he was? I think you have to logically conclude Jesus Christ was not a deliberate liar. Someone who, fill in the blank, someone who lived as Jesus lived, taught as Jesus taught, died as Jesus taught, he wasn't a liar. What about this next one? Could it possibly be that he was a lunatic? Could he be mentally unstable? In other words, you can sincerely believe something and be sincerely wrong. Can you not? I can believe I'm really something, you know, sincerely believe it with all my heart, but I can be sincerely wrong. So that's kind of the thing there. Let's again see what Josh McDowell has to say. Someone who believes he is God sounds like someone today believing himself Napoleon. He would be deluded and self-deceived and probably be locked up so he wouldn't hurt himself or anyone else. Yet in Jesus, we don't observe the abnormalities and the imbalance that usually goes along with being deranged. His poise and composure would certainly be amazing if he were insane. In light of the other things we know about Jesus, it's hard to imagine that he was mentally disturbed. Here's a man who spoke some of the most profound sayings ever recorded. His instructions have liberated many individuals in mental bondage. Now, the one thing that I have never, ever heard anyone say about Jesus, never, I've never heard anybody say he was crazy. I have never heard anybody say that he was mentally ill. I have never heard that said. I've never read anything about that. So which one is he? He's either a liar, he's crazy, or he really is who he says he is. The only alternative that I believe after looking at this, and I have read all kinds of stuff, I have studied this because it has fascinated me. The only logical conclusion that I could anywhere come close to is, he really is who he said he is. When we discuss this with other people, and they say Jesus was this moral, upright guy, good religious leader, good man, some kind of prophet, then ask them, do you think he was a liar? Oh, no. 
No. Do you think he was mentally insane? No, no. Do you think he was God? No, no. How many choices do you get? You just ran out of choices. You just ran out of choices. The issue here is these three alternatives. It's not which is possible. They're all possible. The question is which is most profitable. And that's for you to decide. That's for you to go do your research and come to your conclusion. Which one is he? Is he Lord? Really who he says he is? Is he a liar? Is he a mentally deranged person? It's a decision that every person must make. So the question is, which is most probable? John chapter 20, verse 31. John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, writes these words, and he says this. But these are written. He's referring to Scripture that you and I now have in the Bible. These are written so that you may believe who is Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Life in this world and life in eternity as well. At some point, we must all answer the question, who do you say that I am? It's the most important question that you and I will ever have to answer in life. And again, it will impact your eternal destiny. Our reply will determine and define our relationship with Christ from this point on. Last fill in the blank. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then he becomes the center of our lives the center of our lives and the standard by which all we do and say are measured. Now look at your next steps. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Go back and check it out for yourselves. So here's one thing I'm asking you to do. I want you to take your message outline. I've given you a lot of verses we couldn't cover. I want you to go back. I want you to look at them. Okay? This is a decision only you can make for you. So I want you to do that. I'm asking you to do that. And then, if you want information on reasons to believe, a little bit more information about this, I want you to purchase a little bitty thin book called More Than a Carpenter. Josh McDowell wrote this back in the 70s. When I was in college, a brand new Christian, I got a hold of this. I cannot think outside the Bible of any more book that has influenced and shaped my life as a Christian than this little book that will take you less than two hours to read. Amazing book. So I've even told you where you can go to get it. You can go to Amazon, you buy it brand new for $6.99. Or you can be the Russ Cox way. I usually rarely buy new books. I go to dealoz.com, dealoz.com, and they sell new books and used books. You can get a used one of these copies for five bucks. I want to encourage you get a copy of this book and read it. It won't take you even two hours to read it and see if it doesn't impact you in a great in a very, very strong way. And then today, for some of you, maybe you've been here and maybe you've been on the line and you've been kind of thinking, who is this Jesus? I don't know. I don't know this. I don't know. Maybe you say, you know what? I have to be honest and say, I, I think, you think you're right. I think the, the evidence proves he's really who he said he is. He's the son. Of, he's God. He's God in the flesh who came down and gave his life for the forgiveness of my sins. Maybe today, for the first time ever, you need to make a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ, to follow him, to be a follower of Jesus. We'll give you an opportunity to do that. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for our faith. Thank you so much for the, giving us scripture, for history that we can go back and look. And, and that I pray, Father, we would never, ever just blindly follow. God, help us to be educated about our faith, to be students of our faith, to read the scripture, to read what other people have said to help us better understand scripture. 
I pray especially for anyone here who's on the fence that maybe this message has kind of really hit home with them. They've kind of been thinking about some of these things, but now they've got a lot more to think about. I pray, Father, that they would not just allow this to be a kind of an emotional feeling. And when they walk out of here, <laughs> by the time they hit the asphalt walking to their car, it would be kind of a, a gone memory, a gone thought. I pray, Father, that you'd haunt them. Just stay on them. Keep bringing this up in their mind to, to explore and to look and to see. And I thank you, Father, that when we explore this question, there are answers. And we can find those out. So I pray, Father, that for those who are still seeking, that this would just be the beginning of carrying this journey on forward. And I pray especially for maybe one or two, three people who are here today who've never taken that step, made that commitment, understanding who Jesus is. He's not just some great teacher. He's God. He came down to this earth, not only to show us how to live, but Father, he also showed us that he was the one way to have our sins forgiven and to reconnect with God. So I pray for them that they'd be willing to make that step. So I thank you for this opportunity we had. And as we close, I just want to say this with our heads bowed and our eyes still closed. If you're here today, nobody looking around, just extending our prayer time for a moment. And you've never made that commitment, not just to believe in Jesus. It's not about just believing. It's about becoming a follower of Jesus. And you say, I, today for the first time, I'm going to make a commitment to follow Jesus. That is the most important decision you'll ever make. So right now, wherever you're seated with your head bowed, if that's your prayer, would you just, you can just repeat this after me? These are not magical words. You can just say whatever your heart, but just, just say something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for opening my eyes to truly understand who you are. I believe that you truly are God and you've made a way for me to have a relationship with you. Today, I am committing my life, Jesus, to follow you. To follow you. Help me in my journey. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed, our eyes still closed. I just want to say this as we wrap up. If you prayed that prayer, there's no such thing as a secret service Christian. It is something you share with others. And I want to encourage you, share it with a staff member here at New Hope. Let them know you've made that decision. Make sure they get your information so that they can get it to the right people to kind of follow up and help you begin this new journey in following after Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for today. We thank you so much for the season that we're in when we get to celebrate your birth. I pray, Father, that as we celebrate it, so easy to get lost in all the surroundings and forget the real reason why you came. God came and lived among us, showed us how to live, and then ultimately gave his life so that we could have a relationship with God the Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so very much. And then at the end of the service today, if you do would like somebody to pray with, there'll be some people up here. God bless you. Have a great rest of your holiday weekend.